Hello, it's Hump Day Somewhere, and I'm Mike Gutierrez, the editor at Hump Day News, your source for good junk in art, politics, sports, and culture. Welcome to Editor's Picks at HumpCast, the podcast at Hump Day News. In these episodes, I pick a few of my favorite articles and posts from the site, read them aloud to wake you up or put you to sleep. Before we get down to it, a quick reminder that if you want things in your inbox, we'll put things in your inbox with the Hump Day News newsletter. It's a regular wrap-up of coverage past and content to come, with links, tips, taters, and tots served up fresh, nice, and hot. And if you're subscribed to the newsletter but not signed up for The Backyard, shame on you. The Backyard is a members-only area at Hump Day News where you'll find all that's best and bizarre at HDN. We've got Mappily Power Rankings, letters from the editor, our in-cell advice column, and more. Sign up at the Hump Day News to log in and enjoy. All right, our first article is Sun Glaciers Bring That Calgary Sound. Now, this was a band that came to the Midway. They're from Calgary, Canada. Um, and I'm joined here by Sarah Prusik, contributor to Hump Day News. Uh, Sarah, can you chime in about Calgary? Have you ever been uh, ever been drawn to visit? Never been to Canada, never been to Calgary. Um, what I know about Calgary is it's a place that comes up a lot in Neil Young music, in particular, the album Harvest. Really? Yes. Okay. In what context? Like, is it a you know cheerleading Calgary, or is it like you know a, I might be a wrong. deep dark place? It's Alberta that Alberta? he talks about. Okay. I'm not sure how they're related. You know, I think Alberta might be a province okay. or something like that. Well, this just goes to show how little Americans know about Canada. Amen. Um, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Calgary's Sun Glaciers toured their new LP, Subterranea, through Midway Cafe on the night of Tuesday, 15th November, 2022. Lane, Betty Moody, and class president played in support. There was no sun to be had on Tuesday night, nor glaciers, but the first snow of the season loomed as a possibility in the forecast. In other words, it was cold in Boston. Not as cold as Sun Glacier's hometown, Calgary, though where freezing temperatures have been the rule rather than the exception in November. The cosmopolitan jewel of Alberta sits in the meaty middle of the Canadian expanse. Just an afternoon's drive's distance from Edmonton to the north, but otherwise Calgary must fend for itself on the icy bluffs of northerly, northerly North America, and in contrast to some of the more symbiotic cross-border communities bridging the cultural gap between Canada and the USA, Think about here the proximity of Vancouver or Seattle, or the cluster of metro centers in the northeast with Toronto, Montreal, Boston, and New York City all close together. On the contrary, Calgary has no international dance partner. The state of Montana does not count. For God's sake, Spokane, Washington might be the closest, best option for a cross-border cultural adventure. It's college town, right? If you call a seven-hour drive close... Much like Chicago, the lonely titan of the American Midwest, Calgary has had to create its own identity in the wilderness. You don't want to push the point too far, since streaming media has broken down many geographical barriers to being part of the larger cultural conversation. But material conditions on the ground matter to artists trying to figure themselves out. Painters trying to paint, musicians trying to music, writers trying to write. Like Tom's Diner, 
in Suzanne's, Suzanne Vega's hit single of the same name, a locale can leave its impress on the artist. Perhaps Calgary has done the same with sun glaciers, though the factors of influence in the subterranean processes of art production are never fully explicit in a good work of art, lest artwork be reduced to art formula. Boston's Betty Moody opened the show. The three-piece craft's dreamy, low-tempo pop numbers highlighted by Anna Newman's lush vo vocals. The singer can go low or go high, exhibiting range and control over the quirks of her delivery with a painterly touch. The fellow sitting at the synth provided a nice atmospheric counterpoint to Newman's voice. And though he switched to guitar on a few songs, the real motor of the band remained the leisurely low end of the four-string bass. Rumor has it that the drummer is a new old addition to the ensemble, having joined up with Betty Moody recently after having played with Newman in a more distant past. If you go to enough shows, you start to notice the little things, like the assortment of guitar pedals the guitarists have at their feet. Flangers, phasers, metal distortion, wah-wahs, echo, delay, reverb, whatever, whatever you want to sound freaky. Some musicians collect them like charms on a charm bracelet. A particular sound catches their fancy for a day, a week, a month, and becomes a permanent part of the collection which they tote from gig to gig in vintage, custom-purposed suitcases. Honestly, the add-ons can overwhelm the music if you don't watch out. Picture Gordon Ramsay over an eight-page long menu at a roadside diner, aghast. Scrap it all and give the customers three choices, he might say. Beef Wellington, risotto, and a nice frisee salad. Boston's Lane scrapped most of it, with only one member of the four-piece keeping a few pedals at foot level. The result was a very straightforward and clean style. You might even say austere. Like the songwriting stood itself naked in a steel tub and scrubbed itself clean with a brillo pad, Howard Hughes style. Having scrubbed away the excess, what was left? A series of compositions that relied on the geometry of melody rather than the coloratura of transistors. Shades of math rock as if the band was trying to digest a particularly sticky polynomial expression. In their popular moments, Lane smack of post-punkers like Turn of the Millennium, Q and Not You, but they'll just as soon seg into prog-inflected jammers or go down an 80s synth art pop rabbit hole. Shout out to their four-song EP Theremin, which doesn't seem to offer any theremin playing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Headliners Sun Glaciers brought that Calgary Sound to the Midway Cafe in the third spot on the bill. It's the prize spot for touring bands who want to create a sense of anticipation for their set, but don't want to twiddle their thumbs all night. Before taking the stage, guitarist, vocalist, and frontman Evan Resnick downed a tall glass of water at the bar and exclaimed, Oh yeah, rock and roll. There's a sense of self-deprecation in Resnick's stage presence that comes from, quote-unquote, living in the prairies. When it comes to music, though, some glaciers are all business. The four-piece brought the bells and whistles to the set. This core instrumentation consisted of two guitars, a bass, a drum kit, plus a keyboard in the wings. At different spots on the stage, however, the band had set up additional substations of music-making equipment, into which members rotated at critical moments to give the song a little extra oomph, or take it on a sonic detour. 
A good chunk of the set list was pulled from their recent LP, Subterranea. The album is an effervescent mix of up-tempo, danceable club rock with throwback synth sounds and a little bit of a dark wave attitude. It's probably a wasted effort trying to pinpoint a national or even Calgary local character to Sun Glacier's sound. Arguably, there is more melodic tendency to the use of synths in Canadian indie rock in contrast to the more wallpaper approach of their American counterparts. How far you can extend this insight, it's hard to say. But Sun Glacier was definitely using the keys for more than bloop bleep hooks and a shag rug oral carpeting. Pride of Lowell, class president, closed tonight performing pop punk with some light emo persuasions. The three-piece played songs off its recent four-track EP. In fact, the frontman counted off each song from the EP as they performed it. One, two, three, and so forth. Quick question, is the bassist from Class President also the frontman for Burp, another pride of Lowell? Let us know at the site as we stitch together the genealogy of the underground Lowell scene. All right, our next article is called The Red Cup Rebellion. This was a labor action organized by Starbucks Workers United. It was organized in response to, I think, and I'm reading in a little bit here, but I think in response to the heel dragging that uh, Starbucks Corporate is offering uh, the unions uh, when they're trying to come to the table to negotiate and uh, Starbucks is doing anything but that um so uh sarah did you hear about this red cup rebellion it was designed to make a stir but i don't know how much um it sort of registered on um people's consciousness i haven't heard of this um i've certainly heard of their union uh efforts i personally think that no one deserves fair treatment more than a starbucks barista Mm -hmm. i think we've talked about this they're one of the few businesses where you can just walk in and make up a product that they have to produce. Like, they barely even have a menu when you walk in. They get a a lot of bad treatment from the general public, so I think uh, the company should treat them better. Agreed, and you you have mentioned this. Like, on social media, you will see these absurd Starbucks orders that other people are trying to encourage other people to make. I, I, I... feel empathy, I feel pity and for the workers, I feel shame for the people who come in and order those crazy orders. Starbucks Workers United organized a strike at over 100 locations across the country on Thursday, 17th November, 2022. The action was called Red Cup Rebellion. SBWU elaborated via press release, quote, We chose this date in particular because it coincides with Red Cup Day, an annual Starbucks promotional event of major symbolic and economic importance, during which customers are given free, reusable Red Cups with the purchase of a seasonal specialty drink, end quote. Customers were encouraged to stand with the workers in a show of solidarity. With over 200 Starbucks already unionized in less than a year, the movement has momentum. Boston had its own reason to celebrate with the union win at the 874 Commonwealth Ave location. But lately, the national coffee chain has been making the news for union busting as much as union organizing. The National Labor Relations Board 
has ruled that Starbucks illegally fired employees on the basis of their union activity, a clear violation of labor law under the National Labor Relations Act. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz has expressed no remorse nor indicated a change in strategy, instead complaining that the corporate giant was being, quote, assaulted by the union activity. Industry observers note that there's little incentive for companies like Starbucks to observe labor law when the costs for violating them are low and the profit motive high. Until the NLRB has the bite to match its bark, actions like Red Cup Rebellion will remain a critical tool in the toolkit of labor rights activists. At the site, we've captured some tweets to commemorate the day. Readers are encouraged to visit the site to see the tweets and to contribute to the Boston area SBWU, uh, excuse me, SBWU strike fund um, as their means allow. All right, our final article is an album review. It's Ice Blinks Carpet Cocoon. And again, I'm joined by our Hump Day News contributor, Sarah Prusik. Sarah, tell me what you... Uh, now, I know you just listened to this album last night. Um, tell me what you thought about it. Initial impressions on first listen. On first listen, I thought this was a fantastic album. Very unique uh, sound. Um, really kind of... I would... I kind of thought of it as a between genre type mm-hmm. music. It had some jazz elements. Um, I really enjoy ambient music, um, and I certainly am going to keep listening to this one. Nice. Yes, definitely some jazz. If you heard some tracks on this album without hearing the rest of it, you might think jazz. Equally so, you might think ambient listening to other tracks. So it's a, it's a true hybrid of sorts um, and worth a listen. Ambient music is no longer the province of purely theoretical sound experiments by the likes of Edgar Veres or John Cage. In recent years, pop musicians have been more willing to cross over into the wide open spaces of sound without strictures. Not only that, but they package the music for mass consumption and, wonder of wonders, they expect to move units. Who could have imagined that Claire Rousset would be a band camp darling? Let's name-check Brian Eno for bringing this type of music to the pop mainstream, though the true center of the music movement is everywhere and nowhere all at once. Part of the beauty of the genre, such as it is, is that the rules are unwritten. Ice Blink enters the fray with their superlative LP Carpet Cocoon at a time when the listening audience is more ready than ever to entertain the marriage of ambient and pop. In 10 songs, Lynn Avery explores the emotional and psychological interior of this fateful union. What is most exciting about her exploration is neither the pop stylings nor the ambient meanderings, but rather the plucky little offspring that is produced by the pair. With an ear for textures in jazz, rock, electro, and pop, Avery creates what she calls her comfort album the oral counterpart to a snug sweater and a hot cup of tea on a brisk afternoon. While most ambient albums are built like a house without walls, Ice Blink Lens Carpet Cocoon structure throughout with a singular recherche brand of picked guitar. Healer comes on like a medieval lay. A delicate progression presents a motif that Art Garfunkel would appreciate. You feel transported to a distant past, though the song is no period piece. 
When the saxophone kicks in with its slow, mournful notes, you realize you're in the present day. The slow tempo of the composition gives you plenty of time to readjust your bearings. Nothing on this album is pushy, or hurried, or harried. The mood is meditative and unrushed. You'll enjoy taking your time on this track and others like it, including August von Koenig and Dialogie. On the latter, the saxophone takes front seat while an odd, intriguing guitar picks patterns in back. The space between the instruments is occasionally pierced by notes from a synth that sounds like they're being fed through the lower intestine of a Martian. Cell Phone in a Bath mines a more electro-ambient vein. The song interweaves slow and serene synth motifs in a gauzy, gurgling stew of sounds. A light echo filter on some or all of the tracks tricks the ear into thinking it's inside the hard-tiled interior of a real bathroom. Ice Blink records the song as if it's soaking in the tub. Only the singing saxophone at the tail end of the track lifts the gauzy veil to show a little leg. Mother 4 showcases an electronic jam that cradles the ears and rocks you to sleep. Shades of Aphex Twins selected Ambient Works Volume 2, but shorter, sweeter, and softer on your pineal gland. Other forays into electronica like Microsong feel more programmatic. Microsong is not so micro, with a running length that's longer than the average for the album, but if it deserves its name, you can credit it to the use of a small synth trope that builds up into Reichian or Glassian spheres with the inspired chaos of fractal design. A few sonorous moonbeams injected into the upper registers of the song give it a bit more body, but the atomic structure of the piece is solely determined by the little trope that started it all. Ice Blink ventures into the borderlands between jazz minimalism, noise, and ambient on vocoder upright. The song subtly flirts with form, giving not much more than a wink from across the bar. The sound is wide open and motored at the margins. A stray whistle, a reedy squawk, an occasional pick of a string. Shades of ZRL. Ice Blink navigates the negative space deftly, uses the throwaway sounds of the genre, creating an air of anticipation, like an orchestra warming up before the conductor raises the baton. Except what we expect to arrive is already here. This is the song. The same could be said about the entire album. Carpet Cocoon is here. This is the album. A pleasant voyage that exercises a subtle brilliance, incorporating forward-thinking music concepts into an agreeable cocktail of sound. A time will come when the ice cube of ambient will melt into the rest of the drink for pop music at large. We'll all be less self-conscious of deploying ambient as a music-making strategy, because in truth, it's not a formula on its own, but rather a more general philosophy of sound. But for now, we have Ice Blink and other fine progenitors of the hybrid style, who remind us how far we've come and compel us to push forward. This has been an episode of Editor's Picks on Humpcast at Hump Day News. Thanks for joining. Visit us at the site at humpday.news for good junk in art, politics, sports, and culture. Follow us on our socials, subscribe to the newsletter, sign up for the backyard, and for the love of God, remember, every day is hump day.